I, I've spent a long time as a big Andy Kaufman nerd. So that's kind of my relationship to Taxi. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. That's the guy from the REM song, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, enthusiastic consumer of D batteries. I am Jeremy Ruggles, NBA trade analyst critic. I'm Peter Cook, Super Bowl 12 MVP. I'm uh, Dustin Krasadovich, uh, 1984 Olympic curling champion. Man, I I have to this look is, this up, but I don't I don't believe you guys. <laughs> That's a lot of uh, athleticism on the podcast. Yeah, Sean mostly sticks at double A batteries. Yeah, I'm just an enthusiastic <laughs> consumer over here. Just happy to be here as per usual. Does anyone know does anyone get my reference, Super Bowl twelve? No. What year do you think that was, Super Bowl twelve? Nineteen seventy eight, maybe? You got it, partner. Ooh, what else happened in 1978, Peter? Something else related to football. <laughs> it might a, major, a major touchdown was performed. <laughs> yeah, by Bob James. But Bob exactly. James is not an athlete, at least not to my knowledge. Maybe I'll learn differently tonight, or today, whatever you're listening to this listener. Well, before we steer too far away, who's, who's this Dustin guy we got on the podcast? Dustin, tell us about yourself a little bit. Oh, who, me? Yeah. Uh, well, I am a music and film writer currently based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, after uh, spending uh, about seven years in Portland. Got a bylines for The Quietest, Under the Radar, Esquire, and uh, a bunch of other places. And I'm a DJ and uh, mostly a dollar record DJ when I can help it. Well, it sounds like you are just well qualified for this here podcast, sir. Prime candidate. <laughs> well, thank you. Dustin and I have actually been talking for months now about getting him on the show. At one point, we were going to try and coordinate an in-person guest spot on the podcast. And uh, for circumstances outside of everyone's control, that has become impossible for a while now. Yeah. But happy to have you on the program. Excited to talk about bob james touchdown from 1978 if people couldn't guess what that was the podcast was about <laughs> i'm honored that this is the one that i'm here for hell yeah perfect starting <laughs> point you should play the people bob james before you listeners get too excited that's exactly what i was going to suggest uh <laughs> how about we kick off with the opening track the famous the ultra famous theme song from everybody's favorite sitcom taxi this is Angela. Uh, touchdown.
song, Angela, is such a banger. And, you know, that's he didn't write that to be the Taxi theme song. No. Okay. No, the title track from Touchdown. Yeah, touch, actually... Touchdown. It was, I just learned that. That's wild. I can't yeah. imagine. That sets the tone so perfectly for the show Taxi, the Angela song. Yeah. And, and uh, Touchdown is a very different vibe. Yeah, it sounds more like the theme from SWAT or something. I mean, not not quite, <laughs> not quite, but it's like it's more of a traditional like theme song. It's kind it's of song. very seventies and all. Yeah, it sounds like it's like something on a cop show from the seventies yeah. or something. <laughs> to me, Angela is like kind of the the quintessential mid to late period Bob James song too, because it starts off like those first few seconds are just pure cheese, and then it just instantly like rescues itself you know, 20 seconds into the song and gets funky as hell. And that's just, that's the Bob James signature right there. I mean, that's, that's the, I, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he fucking invented this. He's the king of it. He's, he's masterful at making something that sounds like it's going to be extremely corny and then moving it in, into these directions that you don't expect. Yeah. And it's still like being corny often, but still being oh, yeah. so fucking good that you just don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. <laughs> okay. So what is everybody's level of familiar familiarity with Bob James and also with the show taxi Peter, you want to kick it off? Yeah. So that's all tied together for me when I was 14 years old in eighth grade. So we're talking 1995 here, 25 years ago now. I had uh, become friends with this cool cat named Ryan Wilson. Sadly, he's no longer with us, but he was my first friend who talked about literature, art, music, not in the same way that my friends who talked about Star Wars and X-Men and Jurassic Park. You know, he was already coming at it from, even if he wasn't necessarily studied at like a collegiate level at that point, he was like a worldly level that he was kind of approaching it at, at, you know, the age of 13, 14. And we talked a lot of music and we were really into hip hop and he got me into the doors and he started talking about this cat, Bob James. And right around that same time, Nick at night started putting reruns of taxi on. And at some point I noticed that the theme song was credited to Bob James and this was right around the same time I started listening to the LPs in our household. And my family had just inherited a, a bunch of records from a relative on my dad's side. And there was a copy of Bob James heads, the album that precedes this in there. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I think Ryan had the album touchdown and he eventually, I started talking about the show taxi and he watched it and was like, Oh my God, they got Bob James as the theme song on there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he that was, blew our minds. And, uh, so I, yeah, I wasn't familiar with touchdown other than Angela because it was on taxi. I don't think I got a copy of touchdown until I was in high school. I got it on CD, but I did have a copy of heads and I really dug that record. And I think I got a copy of cool, which is a nineties album that he did with, it was credited to Bob James and Earl clue. Is that how you say his name? Clue clug clue. I don't know how you say the, the guitarist. I've always said Clue, but I, I can't tell you okay. with 100% certainty if that's accurate. I haven't got a clue, but I think that's it. <laughs> we got, we got to get some, some Bob James cheese in here, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like uh, Bob James, at that time, I talked about how Ryan and I were into hip-hop. 
and we're into stuff like the doors. I almost feel like Bob James was somewhere in between those two. And that makes sense to me that we would have responded to this kind of music. It was kind of, I felt like we were off on our own trip. And so when in my 20s, when I started finding out that my jazz friends didn't consider this stuff legit, it kind of broke my heart. (laughs) (laughs) I had like a, a slightly similar experience in some ways. I had a very natural authentic i guess introduction to bob james so like i started working at a record store when i was 19 and thought i knew absolutely everything about music and all these older people around me were just wrong and i was gonna change things up (laughs) and i think i was just like bored at work one day putting on records that had cool covers i'd never heard and of course i put on bob james one because it's just the sickest album cover And I put it on, I was like, this is tight. Like, why does this sit around all the time? Because this was like, you know, 10 plus years ago when you could still find Bob James 1 and 2 for dirt cheap everywhere. And I remember the uh, owner of the store, Steve, was like, why are you listening to Bob James? People are going to think you're a weirdo. <laughs> and I just didn't understand what he was talking about. I was like, this is sick in every way. It's like got the coolest album cover and it's funky as hell. Like, why would anybody not like this? <laughs> And then, you know, eventually, like, realize, like, oh, they get a lot cheesier after the first two records, and maybe I only need to listen to, like, the first two. And then, you know, you got that galaxy brain thing going on, you get older, and you realize, no, actually, pretty much all the Bob James records are good for different (laughs) reasons. (laughs) And you said you were telling us while we were listening to the first track, the theme song from Taxi, that you have never seen an episode of Taxi. Yeah, I think I watched like an Andy Kaufman highlights reel after seeing Man in the Moon, but I I don't think I've ever seen an episode all the way through. And that would have been, you know, before I even listened to Bob James one. So like the fact that he did the theme song really never clicked with me because I it just like wasn't something that was on my radar very much. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I've I've maybe seen every episode of Taxi because it was I watched it pretty religiously around that same time. What's your uh, top five favorite episodes of Taxi? (laughs) <laughs> anyone with uh where latka becomes vic ferrari i thought that was the coolest thing when andy kaufman went into a different character and, and of course to me I, at the at 14 i didn't have any other context for andy kaufman i didn't understand that i was seeing a performance art legend on a, yeah. a mass consumed television show that was almost a weird anomaly yeah. yeah, I mean, like, you got two legends that came from much weirder backgrounds involved with the show, Bob James and Andy Kaufman. Yeah, yeah, and Christopher Lloyd was on the show, too. Oh, okay. There and you go, it shows Danny, how much I know about it. <laughs> Danny DeVito, Judd Hirsch, Mary Lou Henner, the woman who can remember everything that's ever happened to her and the specific date. <laughs> <laughs> she was, like, the best memory on the planet. Yeah, there were a lot of talented people involved with Taxi Judd Hirsch. Uh, Tony Danza. I was about to say, you didn't mention Tony Danza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's the first mention of Tony Danza on this podcast. Won't be the last. <laughs> yeah, it won't be the last. Exactly. <laughs> the floodgates have been opened. So, uh, Dustin, I know you were very excited about talking about Bob James with us. You want to tell us uh, where that excitement comes from? Yeah. Uh, so it, I had watched taxi at a little bit as a teenager and then a little bit in my twenties because of Andy Kaufman. But that doesn't really, really play into my excitement about Bob James, or at least not significantly. I really came in through the side door on this one. So in the mid sixties, before he had really like pursued this direction, Bob James did a record for ESP disc or the Bob James trio, I should say, uh, called explosions. 
He recorded it while he was still uh, had a lot of connections uh, here in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan. And it's just a completely out record, uh, debatably the first record that combines free jazz and experimental like uh, 20th century experimental composition. Mm -hmm. That's what got me interested. And and, uh, and I was like, wait, so this is the same guy who did the theme from Taxi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And how did that happen? (laughs) Worlds apart. That was half of it. And then the more mundane, but still very important aspect was I was a regular at this, at this uh, store here in Ann Arbor, Encore. It was called Encore Recordings at the time. Now it's called Encore Records and it's under different ownership. The photographer Doug Coombe worked there at the time and he was always pushing this, the stuff that was like the hardest sell on me or like, like he knew that I was into like noise music and abrasive punk rock and, and things like that. And he was like, yo man, do you know the, the Bob James track Nautilus? Like that was something I was going to be excited about. But of course, I mean, it's a great track and it's been sampled like 3000 times. Mm-hmm. Him pushing that on me was uh, also important because it gave me context and that happened before hearing explosions. And so it was a, a slow, slow road in from there because all those records are so cheap and common. I had time and money to spend with all of them until, well, not all, but, you know, certainly the first the, the first six that he's that he's most well known for and the ones that are the cheap and extremely easy to find right. records. Just I've, I've spent a good amount of time with all of them, except actually weirdly heads is the one is the one that I have not. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. I that's the one that I was mainly familiar with at 14. So. You know, that one means a lot to me, but this one's mm-hmm. up there for me too. Touchdown. And I didn't realize that uh, his first solo album was one and then there was two. I didn't realize that he continued that trend more creatively. Like Heads is his fifth and there's a five cent piece on the front of it. And then mm-hmm. Touchdown is his sixth. A touchdown is worth six points. Right. <laughs> That's wild. I didn't realize. Yeah. I literally never made those two connections before until just now. <laughs> it's as cheesy and nerdy as everything Everything about Bob James. And I say that with absolute love, like the, the deepest affection. Yeah, he's very consistent in yeah. his cheesiness. As Dustin touched on there, a lot of people consider Bob James to be the most sampled artist in hip-hop history, specifically because of his two tracks, Nautilus and... Take Me to the Mardi me, Gras. Yeah, Take Me to the Mardi Gras. Yep. Two of the most sampled songs ever, and he's got a bunch of other songs that have been sampled a lot, too. Um, he's had a man such a weird career trajectory a lot of twists and turns and he's remained successful during almost his entire career which is kind of absurd for a musician especially a jazz musician yeah so we're not even gonna bother asking jeremy i know about his background with bob james just about to (laughs) okay (laughs) jeremy what do you know about bob james slash taxi Listen, you guys need my input here because i think there are going to be a lot of listeners who are not down with smooth jazz and know nothing about it. (laughs) I just heard this record like two hours ago before we started recording here. I have never seen Taxi and can't even fathom what the show is about. Literally, while I'm listening to this record, I'm Googling why do people like smooth jazz? (laughs) <laughs> to try and like get some kind of asking the internet <laughs> yeah i like i'm trying to understand like what what is it about this that people like because it's never attracted me 
listening to it, it sounds like music that's like scrubbed free of emotion or something. <laughs> so I guess in reading about it, I became very intrigued that smooth jazz is actually an extremely reactionary genre that was reacting to bebop and free jazz and doesn't the, reactionary mean conservative i mean in a sense a reactive reactive reactionary i don't know i'm not <laughs> it's i, I don't mean is, to word police you <laughs> yeah it's a literal reaction to the direction that jazz was heading in with free jazz and bebop and it's these people taking you know a hard turn away from the direction it's going in and that kind of led to a lot of soul jazz and pop jazz influence. And then the pop and rock music that it was merging with was also getting far out and edgy and all that. So then there was like a further reaction away from that. And that's from my uh, internet sleuthing how smooth jazz came to be. I don't know if that's <laughs> accurate understanding but it was intriguing to me at the least mm -hmm. well i think you've brought up some valid points and i think that i can see you know i, I saw that this this album was very low rated on some jazz critics you know their reviews were one star out of five and stuff like that and i can get that especially in the time this these albums like this were probably just considered commercial bids and didn't contain any artistic value but i think that time has been much kinder to them like what they kind of paved the way for and helped develop especially in stuff like hip-hop and how much bob james has been sampled here's another thing i learned though that is kind of tied to that the term smooth jazz was not coined until 1987 and there was an la radio station that was trying to create a station based on like market analysis of what people <laughs> want to hear. And the term they came up with was smooth jazz. And then they were reaching back into these catalogs that when this music was happening, they weren't calling it smooth jazz. And it wasn't, yeah. it doesn't have that baggage that we give smooth jazz now. Yeah. It's like no German musicians were calling themselves Krautrock you know, in the late 60s until the British press started calling it that. And then some despised it, some grabbed onto it. No one was saying, like, people now make Vaporwave. That's probably five years gone now. I'm probably <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. No one was saying they were making smooth jazz then. Yeah, I think there's some parallels to what we've talked about in regards to disco as well, where too often people will use smooth jazz or disco as a term for music that they don't like. Whereas when you ignore the, you know, the originators of the genre and the people who are breaking ground and trying something new, I mean, you're doing the, the, the you're doing the whole genre a disservice because like what you said with, uh, with a lot of the CTI records camp that Bob James was a part of, they weren't out to like, let's figure out how to make jazz more accessible for people. Their whole thing was like, there's been a lot of instrumental jazz that's been made and we really want to make something new. Let's focus more on texture. Let's combine a lot of classical music elements into this. Let's, you know, listen to what other genres are doing outside of jazz and take inspiration from it. 
and it became successful, at least for some people. And then years later, when the corporate music machine had figured out how to put a label on it and capitalize off it in the best way, then all of this stuff retroactively became smooth jazz. And some of it was good and some of it was absolutely amazing, like Mr. Bob James. And honestly, I think this a lot of this stuff goes a lot harder than it gets credit for. The grooves on on these Bob James records are incredible. His his very melancholic sense of melody is I would take umbrage to the idea that it's devoid of emotion. I I think it doesn't it doesn't wear it on its sleeve like, you know, I mean I think there is a journey when you listen if you actually take the time to invest yourselves in a Bob James track, it's not just background music. There is a journey that you can go on. Oh, totally. Right. It could certainly be like dentist office music. That's, I mean, that's elevator rock. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's, that, that's part of what's interesting about it is that it doesn't just push in your face. Like this is the emotion that you should be experiencing, or this is the level of attention that you're, that you should afford this. It's like Brian Eno's notion of ambient music. It, it, it rewards attention, but it doesn't require it. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it with Bob James. Actually, I was going to say a lot of this music it just it works very well in the background like you don't have to think about it it's pleasant it's not offensive but then when you sit down and focus on the grooves and the players and the textures and the directions that they're going it's amazing and it, the more you listen to it the more it keeps jumping out at you and i will say like his earlier stuff like bob james one and two and the cti stuff is uh, probably a little bit easier for people to get into who aren't as familiar with the kind of like cheese levels of his uh, later 70s stuff like Touchdown. Yeah. Part of the reason I wanted to start with Touchdown is it's probably the easiest record of his to find. <laughs> yeah. In dollar yeah. bins across America. Yeah. At any given oh, time. Totally. Like at this point, like most places are going to be trying to get 10 to $20 out of one and like 10 bucks for Bob James 2, et cetera. But you can still find Touchdown and Heads and Lucky 7 and BJ4 for a dollar if you're looking. Should we do another track before we move on with the discussion? I was just about to say the same thing. It seemed like a perfect point to play mm. the title track, Touchdown. Mm. Let's yeah. do it. This is the one that was going to be the theme for Taxi.
listening to this last night, I noticed that that track had the saxophone on it. And before I even looked at the credits, I thought to myself, that's got to be Dave Sanborn. <laughs> that The cheese is unmistakable. <laughs> and sure enough. Yeah, the cheese, yet the, the undeniable level of talent. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I have massive respect for Dave Sanborn, especially because he hosted one of the greatest shows of all time to air on national television. I believe it was called night music. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. And they featured all kinds of wild artists on there. You'd get like Sun Ra performing. You would see bong water featuring screaming Jay Hawkins and Bob Weir from the <laughs> grateful dead performing on there together. Pair Ubu. It's just, it's crazy. The uh, artists who performed on night music well, and once again, it just goes back to what we were saying about like, this is accessible music, but there's an inherent weirdness to it. And a lot of the people making it were weirdos. Like almost all these guys were involved with some like pretty out music at points in their career. And it's not like they were viewing this as a sellout, just like another way of trying something new and like expanding music. Yeah, they're as Jeremy was saying that his roommate had commented on it. You said it sounded like MIDI music because the players are so expert that they don't almost don't sound like human beings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's uh, I mean, this music is extreme in what it's doing. Extreme yeah. in the, it's uh, like going all out fully yeah. on what it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like taking an ideal and like going all the way to it. Definitely. Run yeah, with no breaks. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the Merzbau of a uh, of a uh, smooth jazz. <laughs> yeah, for Apt sure. Comparison. I'm sure Merzbau would be proud. Yeah, you had to be ready to take a bullet for a motherfucker if you played on Bob James touchdown. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you guys want to you want a quick, uh, real brief Bob James biography here? Yeah, that's Please. this is funny. I want to touch on this because something about the style of music has never led me to go like, Ooh, what's the mystique here? What's the tortured artist behind this music? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I never have really dipped into who Bob James is or how, you know, I, I know that he did explosions on ESP disc, which was a pretty far out there record. And then his mu music becomes more and more accessible to this degree. And that's, you know, and he has continued on successfully for many years. Yeah, I, I don't know if anybody's really described Bob James as a tortured artist. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's my he point. He seems to have just, he, I mean, he's like self-described as basically the luckiest musician. <laughs> In a lot of the like interviews I'd read with him, he's like, I don't know why I'm successful at like everything I do. I just keep <laughs> trying things I want to do. And then people give me a lot of money for it is basically yeah. like what his life has been like since he, college. <laughs> even his name is nondescript. Yeah, Bob I know. James. <laughs> <laughs> I would say like maybe like the biggest struggle he's had is keeping on top of getting paid for all of the samples of his music and like suing yeah. people that try and get away with it. That's that's his the biggest uh, hurdle he's had. Yeah, I think he's I think he sued Mad Lib like five years ago for an unlicensed sample. But it's rare in that he's not he's not mad about it and he actually respects the process. He just wants to get paid. Yes, although he also seems to sometimes make comments to the effect of like, 
it's he appreciates being noticed and he appreciates like the level of respect that his music has but he kind of feels like sampling wouldn't exist it wouldn't exist if people were better musicians <laughs> well yeah like it's great that they did this and i guess it's interesting but if they learn how to play an instrument they wouldn't have to do this and it's like that's not really what's happening but i mean i guess that's more of a progressive opinion than most people your age so we'll take it <laughs> right right yeah it's entirely missing the point <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> yeah repurposing I always think back to this time when I was having a, a small argument with someone who was saying that, you know, sampling and electronic music couldn't ever be at the level of an instrument. Like, it's just pushing buttons and that can't be an instrument. And I was like, well, do you consider music made on a keyboard to be music? Because those are just glorified <laughs> buttons there, buddy. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you blew his mind. Yeah. A piano is just like a row of buttons. Yep. Bob James. In 1939, on Christmas Day, the world <laughs> was gifted a savior <laughs> who would forever alter the course of music. I'm going to also assume that he was probably conceived in an elevator, and maybe that explains. Was this was this bio written? Is this from his website? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sean's so own maybe, maybe it will be after he hears this episode. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So he was born in Marshall, Missouri, and then he moved to Michigan, where I believe he currently resides, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as, as of five years ago, he definitely resided in Traverse City. I don't know if that's still the case, but. Yeah, he also appears to be worth about $15 million, so he might have a few houses. Could be. If I had known when I was doing an internship up in Traverse City that he was around there, I would have been. I would have been looking or listening. I'm also just going to say that it makes a lot of sense that the, the king of elevator music would live in the whitest city in the world. <laughs> <laughs> if you ever want to play Perhaps. the worst drinking game in the world, go to Traverse City, Michigan and take a shot every time you see a person of color and you will be sober for days. <laughs> <laughs> Verified. Yep. Yep. That checks out. To that. <laughs> well, anyway, he moved to Michigan. He went to college at U of M. And then in 1962, he took part in a jazz festival battle, the bands of sorts at Notre Dame, which was judged by Quincy Jones, who was so impressed by young Bob and his trio that he got him signed to Mercury Records. And in 1963, he put out his actual first record, Bold Conceptions. Mm -hmm. oh that's right there is one before explosions yeah the the other record that everyone forgets about <laughs> he's got two <laughs> mostly forgotten records before well i mean that's what happens when you name your your first record uh as a, that's what happens when you name your first popular record one people assume yeah. there's nothing before that oh totally it's it's his <laughs> fault that people have forgotten about those first two records but yeah <laughs> i don't own bold conceptions i've listened to it online a little bit it never really jumped out at me too much it just kind of feels like a pretty standard 60s jazz record i don't know if you guys have listened to that one before no the earliest i've heard is explosions yeah i mean it, it shows some promise but it didn't blow me away yeah it's like it's like it's it's like the equivalent of like a, a director's first movie you know it's like maybe some of the if you really look or listen hard you you're picking up on some of the stuff they touch on later but it doesn't really like have their like signature style yeah. Right. Yeah, and this is also th this first couple albums are like a decade before the rest of his work that he's known for. Yep. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that first record was also produced by Quincy Jones. It's just like one speaks to like how cool of a guy Quincy Jones is and was. Always like trying to bring up and coming musicians up with him and use his positions of power and fame to help other people. And then yeah, two years later in 1965, the Bob James trio dropped Explosions on ESP disc, which as Dustin said, is a amazing record. Insane. I've owned that for a long time. And it's one of those cool records where you can uh, you can play it for people and be like, I bet you never thought Bob James made music like this, but then it has the added value of just actually being a phenomenal record. And it's also it's got it's it's got incredible distinction in the the world of experimental music because it's got two of the major post Cajun composers, Gordon Gordon Muma and uh, uh, Robert Ashley, basically being sidemen on it or co-composers, which in that world of nerdery, I mean that's huge. I actually carried there's a here here in Ann Arbor there's a 50th anniversary of the Once Festival like day, days long celebration and Robert Ashley before he had passed away was here and I w- brought my copy of of Explosions with me to have him sign it but it's one of the two times that I've been so intimidated by a person that I wouldn't even go near them. <laughs> well, what was the other time? Wait. Go ahead. Don't be nervous. I, I'm trying to think. Of, I'm trying to think of what it was because I've been saying two times, but now I can't remember what the other one was because I, I, I did. <laughs> I, when, I, when I when I met Ron Ashton, I couldn't spit out a full sentence. Mm. I said something to the effect of, uh, "Your guitar, man, thank you." So I guess that's <laughs> kind of a full sentence. <laughs> but he was very, yeah. he, he was very sweet and gracious. He, he like asked if I wanted a photo taken with me and I just like, you know, like nervously nodded. And <laughs> was this in Ann Arbor? That was in Detroit. That was at uh, the Seapop okay. the gallery. There was a, there was an art show going on where all the, all of the then surviving members of the Stooges had a piece of art in it. Oh, okay. And of course I went to see the art, not the people. Just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's awesome though. Ron Ashton is definitely great guitarist some someone who laid it down differently yeah so it's cool that you got to at least say the word guitar to him yeah so he's still with us <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so back to mr james mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so post 1965 here's where it starts to make sense of the shift in music he was doing a lot of like freelance work as an arranger session player and he said he was he was doing very well at that and at some point moved to new york city and then also became a regular pianist for Sarah Vaughn hmm. and did a lot of work with her in like the late 60s, early 70s. At somewhere along the lines in late 60s, early 70s, he reconnected with Quincy Jones, who hired him for some studio work and some arranging on an album he was doing. The two of them worked together on a handful of albums. And another person who was in the studio that day was a man named Creed Taylor. Uh, yes. Who was CTI getting his getting his CTI record label off the ground and recognized the talent in this young Bob James guy. And I'm not sure when he was officially asked to be a part of the CTI camp. I think it was like 73 or something like that. But he had worked on a handful of CTI and Kudu albums before dropping Bob James one. You can find him on some Grover Washington Jr. records, Hubert Laws, Chet Baker, Gabor Zabo, Stanley Turrentine, Eric Gale, and others. Johnny Hammond. Yep. He was That's on our one. Johnny Hammond album we did. 
Mm-hmm. Higher ground. So yeah, then in 1974, he dropped his uh, third debut record, Bob James One, <laughs> which was fairly successful. It's not the most successful record that CTI ever put out, but it was successful enough that he was able to follow that up with a new album every year for the next three years, Bob James One, Two, Three, and Four. Then 1977, CTI was starting to run into some financial problems. They had switched distributors to Motown and that wasn't working anymore and the label was basically folding so Bob skipped town and started his own record label Tapon Z Records as a subsidiary of Columbia yeah put out the record Heads in 77 and then Touchdown in 1978 there's a couple other artists that have been released on Tapon Z mostly CTI collaborators up until that point, you got like some Richard T. records, Mongo Santa Maria, and a handful of others. But it was mainly a label to just release Bob's own music so that he could have complete control over the creative process and the licensing and everything. Yeah, I'd always seen that on the label, Tap and Z, and I never thought to actually look into what it was. I'm like, well, I've never seen this on any other records. <laughs> and uh, it's named after the Tap and Z Bridge wherever that may be <laughs> in new york it is in new york okay yep i'm not quite sure like why it was named after that if there's like a bridge he used often in his commute he seems obsessed with it yeah it, I, I don't know. it comes up more than once <laughs> right because it's the title um, of a song and his label yeah he is enigmatic like we said he just kind of kept he kept falling ass backwards into success it seems like you know he got on esp disc he started working with sarah vaughn had these successful groundbreaking records with CTI, was able to start his own label and, you know, had the theme song to a very popular sitcom. And then after this, it just kept going. Like after this record is when he started winning Grammys and started like really doing his world tours. And then eventually he started a group called Foreplay, which was like we talked about, you know, later on in the in the 80s when they started like capitalizing on the smooth jazz movement and labeling things that he just rode that trend was like all right well then i'm going to start a smooth jazz super group and just like kill it on that front as well and he's still he's still working very regularly he put out a record this year he composed a symphony that he was commissioned to do and it just keeps working out for him he <laughs> like you said he's uh considers himself to be a very lucky musician and is very grateful for all the unexpected success that he's had throughout his career. Well, I have to think that some of that success is due to the people he was playing with. And uh, do we want to talk about some of those people? That's a very good point. I would love to talk about some of those people. You want to run down part of that list? This is a stacked lineup. I know that we've got, of course, Bob, Bob James is, he's playing the Fender Rhodes, electric Yamaha grand piano, Oberheim, synthesizers we're, we're going to hear one of those shortly i believe on the next track we feature we have eric gale though who we just talked about last week on the kid creole and the coconuts episode one of the players on that had worked with eric gale he's on electric guitar he did the he was on touchdown in caribbean nights and did the solo on angela we have hiram bullock on electric guitar on most tracks he does a vocal solo on Caribbean Nights, which I think is the only human voice on the record. Yep. And I don't know if we'll hear that section when we get to that track. And he was a pretty close collaborator with Bob at this point. He did records with him before and after this. Mm -hmm. 
we have both Gary King and Ron Carter doing bass duties. Uh, Gary King is the electric bass on Angela and Touchdown, the two tracks that we've heard so far. Then Ron Carter, who we talked about, I think it was on the Johnny Hammond episode, the greatest bassist of all time. Right, Sean? Yeah, (laughs) one could make that argument for sure. (laughs) He's on acoustic bass on the other songs, uh, like Sunrunner and Caribbean Nights. And he apparently does a piccolo bass solo on Caribbean Nights. Steve Gadd is on drums, except for on Angela, the theme from Taxi. That is Idris Muhammad, a legendary drummer. I mean, both Steve Gadd and Idris Muhammad are jazz legends. And for me, both of those drummers are guys that if I see they're on a record, it's worth at least listening to and probably worth buying. Those are some legendary players. Mm. Yeah, Ralph McDonald is providing additional percussion on most tracks. Mongo Santa Maria also providing percussion. Dave Sanborn, we mentioned him on Alto Sax on the title track, Touchdown. And we got Hubert Laws, sibling of Ronnie Laws, who we recently did an episode on. Hubert Laws playing the flute on, I think there's three different tracks featuring the him on flute. Sunrunner, I Want to Thank You, and Caribbean Nights. And Earl Clue on acoustic guitar on a few tracks. Then it gets into, then you get into all the uh, like trumpets, trombones, wood, the woodwinds, strings. That's a long list. I don't know if there were any highlight names you wanted to pick out there. I mean, just John Faddis and Randy Brecker on the trumpets. Okay. Are- uh, we mentioned John Faddis as being Mad Lib's uncle. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. That is an important detail. And uh, Randy Brecker was another like smooth jazz, fusion jazz legend that you saw all over the place in some records like this. I noticed something when I was looking at the credits on this. I've always really liked the album artwork on this. I find it very attractive. I think it really fits the record, too. The photography was done by a guy named Buddy Endress, but the art direction and design was by a woman named Paula Schur. She's a major graphic designer and painter and art educator, and she worked for CBS in the 70s on album design. And But she's probably... If you look at lists of like 25 graphic designers that any graphic designer should know, she's always on those lists. Mm. So I thought that was cool. And I, this is a really fun album to lay out because the football stretches the length of the front and back cover. And then I really like the insert too, with all the player, all the session players pictured, really attractive and green. I've always really liked opening up this album and just looking at it while I'm listening to it. You know, it's it's nice to have that full uh, gatefold experience when you're putting on a record and just oh, yeah. absorbing it, you know? And it is staunch in its difference to all other records that will be around it. You're like flipping through and you're like, whoa, it's a football. <laughs> <laughs> it stands out. You can't yeah, miss not it. an artsy smear of colors or something. Boom, football. Yeah, my favorite... My f- my favorite thing about the football is that it has Bob James' autograph on it yeah. on the backside. It's an official signed NFL Bob James football. Yeah, famous, <laughs> famous quarterback Bob James. <laughs> the man can do it all. That's right. I also just want to say, like, literally every one of the main players on here is someone that we could do an entire episode about for, like, their solo work. Yeah. Just to really, like, reemphasize how legendary of a crew this is he's got on this record hell yeah well do we want to go ahead and play the song that features the oberheim 
was that what we wanted to do next? That's the next one. Flipping it to side B, track one, Sunrunner. Yeah, so Dustin, you, I don't know if you want to say this before or after the fact, but you uh, find the Oberheim particularly entertaining on this one? or Oh, God, it's delightful. <laughs> I think you said that uh, it's 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 like early 80s, like chil- like a children's music theme song or something. Yeah. It is one of the, one of Bob James's tracks that doesn't have at all any of the touches of melancholy that I mentioned earlier. Oh, it's so it's, whimsical. It's very whimsical. <laughs> cheesy as that synthesizer sound is i still love it there's something about artfully mixing in synthesizer to otherwise like mostly standard instruments in a like smooth jazz jazz funk soul jazz context i just love it every time and that song is no exception yeah (laughs) the name sunrunner fits perfectly for the sound of it yeah Mm -hmm. getting some strong uh manheim steamroller vibes off that one too i think they use the same synthesizer it's the same sound as someone who grew up listening to a lot of Mannheim steamroller yeah while we were listening i was trying to determine if uh that was the same synth used on the disney main street electrical parade i was not successful (laughs) and it's been a while since i've listened to that theme so i i can't guarantee that but i'm going to say i've got a hunch when i was a kid in the (laughs) 80s i had these tapes called little thinker tapes and they would lay out a story for you, like you're traveling in outer space, and then it would pause, and there'd be like two, three minutes of music for you to draw 
the scenario, an interpretation of the scenario, and I swear it was always music that sounded just like that. <laughs> <laughs> so did you find yourself with the urge to draw some things while we were listening to that track? Oh, I got my crayons out, my paper out. <laughs> I drew a football with my name on it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is a full experience, immersive experience for me. Yeah. Well, that's just adorable. It's powerful. You guys want to talk about uh, what are some artists people should listen to if they like this record, aside from literally every artist that played on this record? Yeah. Yeah. How would they do that, Sean? Is there a good place they can go to hear all those artists in one location? Well, boy, there sure is. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I have been making these Spotify playlists to go with every new episode of season two so that people can dive in a little further. Got just under two hours of more textural, smooth jazz sounds related to Mr. Bob James. Kicking it off with the song Tap and Z by Bob James off BJ4. And then another one of my favorites that I've been wanting to do for a while is Harvey Mason, another legendary session drummer with some amazing solo records. George Duke, got some Grover Washington Jr., Jeff Lorber, one of my favorite like 80s synth jazz fusion funk guys. His records are fucking awesome. Terrible artwork. You would never think they're good, but goddamn, do some of them slap. <laughs> and then the unexpected hit, one of the Bob James productions, he did all of Kenny Loggins' first solo record, Celebrate Me Home. Oh, I didn't know that. Which I, I fully stand behind that record. Most Kenny Loggins stuff sucks, but that first record is damn good, and it's, I think, mostly because of the Bob James production on it. Don't forget Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> the Danger yeah, Zone. I mean, it's whatever. Once <laughs> you get past the Danger Zone, there's some, there's some sleeper hits in the catalog. I got some late period Herbie Hancock sunlight from the album of the same name great record my favorite kind of yeah no one talks about that record but it's so good it's a little smoother and less adventurous than his earlier 70s stuff but yeah it's, it's incredible a, it's a completely different vibe but i mean that's not even accurate because there's not really a consistent herbie hancock vibe except that it's a, except to say that it's a completely different vibe that's like because <laughs> i mean if you compare like sextant for example to inventions and dimensions like that's you know that's not the same vibe mm -hmm. yeah what a wild man can't get his records for a dollar though no you sure can't wish you could <laughs> yeah another recent favorite of mine that i want to do an episode on at some point phoebe snow oh from her self-titled record i put san francisco bay blues on there i think bob was involved with that record i think that's why i put that song in there i don't have time to look it up but let's just say he was <laughs> Put an Eric Gale solo track on there, guitarist on this record. It's actually, I put his soul jazz cover of Hollow Notes' Sarah Smile, which is really fucking good. Great track, if you haven't heard that one before. And I put another Fania All-Stars track on there. We put them also on last week's playlist for the Kid Creole and the Coconuts. Couldn't do this playlist without putting a Herbie Man track on there. I put one of the, like... One of the weird tracks, his like Japanese fusion record, uh, Gagaku and Beyond. I don't know if you guys have heard that one. Nope. But it's it's really, really good. I don't see it pop up as often, but it's still only worth like two or three bucks when you do find it. Right. Some Gene Harris solo work, one of my all-time favorite jazz musicians. He started as like a pretty straightforward kind of Ramsey Lewis-esque acoustic soul jazz kind of guy with uh, Gene Harris and the three sounds. 
And then after splitting with them, he started making some really adventurous, very textural music in the 70s for Blue Note, doing kind of his own take on this like new smooth jazz, but with, I would say, generally a lot less cheese. Going full jazz funk, very worth checking out. And then another uh, guy we featured on the podcast before, Stephen Halpern. Mm-hmm. I think if we're going to talk about smooth jazz, it kind of makes sense to look at the parallels between that and new age music. Oh, yeah. And then a little bit of the example of some good jazz and textural crossover with funk music. I put a Maze and Frankie Beverly track on there. We got some full-on fusion jazz from Stanley Clark off the Modern Man LP that came out, I believe, the same year as this record. And Bobby Humphrey, one of my absolute favorite jazz funk musicians. One of the few ladies in jazz that was leading her own records and just absolutely killing it. Doing some really good jazz funk crossover again. And then we close it out with Nautilus, the legendary Bob James track. And that one, that's the one that you said, is it's like one of the most sampled tracks in hip-hop of all time. Yeah. One of my favorite 45s to play for like outdoor events and stuff is this kind of compilation track where it's just like eight different hip-hop tracks that have sampled Nautilus all mixed together. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna... I didn't really look into each track. I saw that a lot of the ones from this have been sampled multiple times, but there wasn't any particular track that stood out as anything too major. I know Angela has been sampled by the souls of mischief and DJ Jazzy Jeff featuring big daddy Kane did it on the garden in 2007. They used Angela the theme from taxi, but it looked like the other ones just, I think every track has been sampled a few times at least on touchdown. Yeah, definitely. And he was saying that the song Angela is one of the few songs in his catalog that he doesn't have any say as to who samples it, because obviously it's part of the Taxi soundtrack, so it's owned by that crew mm. and not him. Interesting. And one of the things he was saying is that he really enjoys being like the sole person to say yes or no to a sample. And one of his main criteria is just literally whether he likes what they did with the sample or not. And he said the thing that bothers him the no- the most is when people speed up or slow down the song too much. No, no. Because he said they like put a lot of uh, thought into what the tempo of each track was supposed to be. So he feels <laughs> like it's a, a betrayal of his artistic statement to change the tempo. <laughs> so here here's where his, uh, his uh, boomer musician up tightness really comes out. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I, he's like, they're only doing that so it would fit the tempo of another sample, and I don't understand why they would just use a different song. I was like, okay, like, <laughs> I guess no one can really expect you to be like familiar with the the intricacies and different trends of beat making, but whatever. Oh man, well we better we better uh, cut this conversation short. I don't want my perfectly squeaky clean image of Bob James to be tainted here <laughs> with his boomer opinions. Well, he also said he doesn't really understand why so many of his colleagues of his age are like adamantly against sampling. He thinks yeah. that it's it's interesting and that it should be allowed, whether he thinks it's a legitimate art form or not. <laughs> yeah. And technically, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think he counts as a boomer because he was born in 39. And I think the baby boom is considered after World War II. Important distinction. That's a good point. Would he be the greatest generation? Uh, silent generation. Silent generation. That's what it was. Mm. Okay. Well, we've gone silent now. <laughs> um, I don't. Yeah. Do we have anything else that we want to touch on regarding Bob James? I have nothing that I want to touch down on. 
I have I have days of stuff, but I don't, I don't want to subject you all to it. So. <laughs> well, you know, we might have to just do a part two of Bob James at some point and talk about some of the earlier weirder stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is a good one to start with, though, because it's the one that you're going to find, dear listener, if you go scouring the bins. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram. And a reminder that you can support us on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes or at patreon.com slash I'd buy that podcast. Got all different kinds of levels that you can support the show at and get some cool bonus content. Jeremy, closing thoughts on is, has anything developed in the last 40 <laughs> minutes since your opening salvo? I feel like I have just been like told where the smooth jazz party is at but i haven't actually like gone to it or like <laughs> melded in at all taken it in so there's like i mean like that west montgomery record i brought that was cti that's kind of an on-ramp into there well the johnny hammond and the uh ron ronnie laws were a little bit too yeah so i've like you know touched the edges of it before but I don't dislike it. It's just, I mean, I can tell the players are very good at what they're doing, but I still don't feel like I get it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm happy to help in any way that I can. I just want to put <laughs> we're that here out there. for you, Jeremy. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a program designed to yeah. indoctrinate. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like these are records that do benefit from repeated listens, too. I, I feel like there are layers that reveal themselves. Yeah, and maybe maybe start at Bob James 1 and then, you know, work your way up to this and also listen to Explosions at some point. Yeah. That's that's the way I went, and I can I can recommend that path. Yeah, to be clear, I, I was in the exact same position as you, Jeremy, at one, at one point in time. So I, I, feel, I feel your confusion. And... <laughs> and suffering (laughs) all right well dustin did you have anything that you wanted to plug or talk about before we get out of here Uh, nothing i didn't mention at the top of the show i'm kind of i've i uh i've been working full-time and uh and haven't haven't had as many uh side hustles as normal yeah yeah life can get in the way of those things yeah that's true (laughs) well we appreciate you taking some time out from your working schedule to sit down and talk some Bob James with us. Uh, this is one, I can't believe we haven't done this record already. <laughs> yeah. We've been talking about it for a while. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure. I assure you. Well, thank you for listening to I'd buy that for a dollar. My name is Peter cook. I'm Sean Hartman. And I'm Jeremy Ruggles. Are you giving them Caribbean nights to go out on? Oh yeah. That was the one I liked the most. Okay. Okay. So you got your foot in the door a little bit. Yeah, it has the uh, the groovinous vibe to me. Yeah, and this one has the uh, only vocal on the record that we were talking about. I don't know if we'll actually get to that in the portion that we're going to listen to. Well, let's find out. We won't. All right.